I did not confirm this, but I saw the other day that Wendy's is apparently going to have a, a pumpkin flavor or a, um, some kind of a, a frosty that's of that flavor, which let's just call it what it is. It's an abomination. Okay. It is. No, no. Uh, Mark chapter one. Okay, that's the last pumpkin spice related negative thing I'm going to say. Mark one, let's, let's look in together. Mark chapter one, we're going to read 21 uh, through 27. Uh, we've, we're a couple weeks now into this uh, sermon series, um, uh, kind of talking about the difference between Jesus and Mr. Rogers, um, because so many people kind of have that, uh, that picture of him as that uh, person who would never um, say a crossword or uh, speak up or anything like that. This morning, we're in Mark 1, we're going to read 21 down through 27. It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord. So, we're continuing to kind of talk about these different aspects of the comparison between Mr. Rogers and Jesus, where a lot of people think of him as that way. And one of the, the place we want to focus on this morning is, and again, I'm not trashing Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. It was a lovely show, is a lovely show for kids. But another aspect of that is, as you watch that show, you know, everybody gets along in the neighborhood. There's always, you know, there, there's, there's this beautiful camaraderie and no one ever fusses about anything. And there's never any opposition. There's never any negativity. And as we look at this passage this morning, we want to talk, um, as you can see in your outline this morning, we're going to talk about three things that this passage kind of points out to us. Uh, and we want to kind of establish some, uh, some spiritual truths there. And then we want to talk in the last part of the message about what we're supposed to do with those. And all these uh, tie into this passage. We're going to start in verse 23. And... Um, and it says in verse 23, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. So the first thing we want to start with this morning is this. Jesus believed in demons. Jesus believed in demons. So as you look at um, that verse, we see the, the idea of the impure spirit of the demon there. As you uh, go down to 26, it also uh, mentions the impure spirit of the demon. And then in 27, uh, it, it says there also, he uh, even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. If you look a little later in Mark chapter 1, uh, hopping down, well, we'll read 33 and 34, um, talking about uh, the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. It's an important verse because there are some people that would argue, well, you know, it's 
you're kind of spiritualizing everything and you know well they're oppressed and that just means that you know they have a problem as opposed to the idea uh, of of actually believing uh, in demons but it's very clear from this passage that we talk about spiritual warfare and we talk about the battles that we are in that Jesus did uh, believe in demons now th there tends to be two places that fo folks go with this either number one there are some people that along with this and kind of some Revelation stuff will get obsessed with it and totally focus on that. The more common problem is that we tend to ignore this and, and we just kind of put it out of our minds. We get so focused on the material world that we live in, you know, um, making a lot of money and, and having possessions or the, the online world that we live in where we're, we're scrolling through pages all the time. And sometimes we forget um, the spirituality. When we think of our spiritual lives, a lot of times we simply focus on, well, I want to become a better person as opposed to the spiritual realities of what this passage teaches us. It doesn't just teach us, though, that Jesus believed that there were such a thing as demons, but it also teaches us a couple things about how Jesus dealt with that. The second thing I want to talk about is this. Jesus came with authority over demons. Jesus came with authority over demons. As you look at verse 25, in responding to... Uh, this demon, it says there, Jesus uh, speaking in response to what the demon has said in verse 24, um, acknowledging who he is. Um, in verse 25, it says that Jesus said, be quiet, come out of him. And, and that idea of, of Jesus having the authority to, to rebuke the, the demon and tell the demon to come out of him speaks to the fact that, that um, as we look at that passage, that Jesus had authority over demons. There is a, there is a uh, misconception a lot of people have that, okay, as, as we talk about these kind of things, you have Satan on one side uh, of the battle, obviously the negative side, the evil side, and then you have Jesus on uh, the side of good and, and on God's side, and that they're in this battle, and you know, it's this battle between equals. And it's really important that we understand that is not true. Je you know, as we think about Satan, he is real and, and he is in the battle, but as we talk about Jesus, Jesus is not the equal of Satan. Jesus is the Son of God. And as He is the Son of God, He has so much more authority. And so as we look at this, this should be, and I don't want to get too far into the application, but this should be a point of great comfort for us when Jesus doesn't look at the demon in this situation and say, well, you know, man, I wish I could do something. It's too bad this guy's in this spot. But Jesus has authority over the demons. And as we think about that, um, what's striking here is like there's not even, you know, as you look at 26, there's not even an argument. There's not like, well, you know, let's talk about this or that the demon has a way to fight back. Jesus has authority. And that's a great thing for us to understand as we think about this situation. The third thing as we think about this is that Jesus came to destroy demonic power. Jesus came to destroy demonic power. As you look at verse 24, it says that the demon is responding, and it says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know that Jesus, in fact, has done that. As He's come into the world, there's a couple passages there in your sermon outline. 1 John 3.8 says that Jesus came to destroy uh, the works of the devil. And 1 Corinthians uh, 15.24 
says that Jesus came to destroy the works of evil. To go back for a second to the thing we kind of started with, with that Mr. Rogers idea, um, you know, it, it would be lovely if, if the world was all good and everyone got along well, uh, like happens in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. The reality is that's not the world that we live in, but instead we have a world where there is both good and there is evil. And I don't want a Savior who comes into the world and kind of winks at the evil or says, well, it's not that big a deal. We want a Savior who came into the world to destroy the works of the devil, who came into the world to be able to lift up that which is good. And we, when he sees people who are under the sway of the devil, that he came to destroy that type of opposition and that type of oppression. Now, it doesn't take very long to kind of establish those three things. What I want to take more time with is how does that inform the way that we live our life? How does that inform the way that we walk spiritually? And still in this passage, there's three things that I want to bring out that I think this passage um, helps us to understand. The first is up in verse 24. As you go back to 24, it says there, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The first thing in terms of an application is this. We need to recognize that we are in a war zone. We need to recognize that we are in a war zone. So many of us as Christians are primarily concerned as Christians with what Jesus can do for us. And I want my life to be a little bit easier, or I want my life to be a little bit better. And that, while it's not bad that we want our lives to be better, uh, is not great that we want our lives to be easier. While it's not a bad thing that we want our lives to be better, it ignores the fact that um, that the Bible teaches us that we are in a war zone. Bill Cook says all the time in Sunday school that, you know, what we are in, it's not a playground, it's a battleground. And we need to recognize the battle that we are in. As you look at verse 24, to go back to that word there, it says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And the answer is, yes, He has. He has come to to uh, oppose that demonic opposition and to be able to stand up for what is right. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. As we think about Ephesians chapter 6 and preached a whole sermon series on that before where it talks about the armor of God, the New Testament teaches us that we are in a battle and that God has given us certain armor, certain defenses, and certain offensive weapons to be able to fight in that battle. And many of us wander through life, we're kind of just wandering around focused on material things or focused on our own entertainment instead of recognizing that we're supposed to be part of the battle going forward to try to advance the kingdom of God, try to elevate the name of Jesus, try to get people who are in difficult situations into the light of Jesus Christ. And as we think about what we've been called to there, the word that he uses in 24 is an important one for us to remember, the word destroy. And that is that it is, 1 Timothy there is a good fight to fight, and we are supposed to be a part of that. And when we don't recognize the battle that we're in, we leave ourselves open to great spiritual damage. There's a story from World War One. There were several uh, of um, Britain's uh, uh, ships, large military ships, that were being destroyed in battle. And, and um, as they looked at the problem, what they realized was they had uh, the, the sides of the ship they had put really heavy metal to be able to withstand attack. But while they had done that to the sides of the ship, the the um, the deck of the ship, 
was wood. And so as the Britons were fighting Germans, as the Germans would lob uh, their, their different weapons over and it would hit the top of the ship, there, there was no defense there. It didn't do any good to have all this protection on the sides of the ship if you left the top of the ship wide open to attack. And it doesn't do us any good to, um, to have part of our lives protected from the enemy when we are ignoring him in other parts of our lives. We need to understand that we are in a battle. We're in a war zone, and we should anticipate the attacks of the enemy. And in turn, we need to use the Ephesians 6 uh, armor of the Lord to protect ourselves and to use the offensive weapon we've been given, the Word of God, to be able to go forward, to be able to fight in the battle around us. Second thing, look with me in 27. The second thing is this. It says, The people were all so amazed, they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey Him. The second application is this. We need to quit acting like a bunch of chickens. We need to quit acting like a bunch of chickens. When we do think about spiritual battles, when we do think about um, trying to make a difference for the Lord and trying to get into those situations where somebody is, is, is dealing with severe spiritual problems or somebody is in, under uh, spiritual attack, a lot of times we, we act like a bunch of chickens and we're like, well, you know, I'll, I'll pray for you, but you know, we're, we're going to keep as far away from the situation as we can. Look at what that verse says there. I really like what it says right at the end of that verse. It, it talks about a new teaching and with authority, but it says there, He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey Him. It, it, it all goes back to me, to Matthew chapter 16. When we think of what Christ is able to do in that situation, and then the authority He has given to the church. And I've listed a few other passages there. Um, James 4 talks about uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Matthew 18 talks about uh, our ability to, to bind and loose, which is a, an interesting passage. But in Matthew chapter 16, um, Jesus talks about the fact that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the church. And... And I've said this before, but it's an important point for this morning as well. We act like what that means is that as we huddle in our church and, and we, we get away from the world and, and, and we're huddled together and as we put up our gates around, metaphorically speaking, around the church, that as we all huddle together and are in our little um, uh, space where, where everything is safe and everything is okay, that, that Satan will stay out. But it doesn't say that in that passage that there's a gate around the church. It says that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand, which does not picture the church as being this cowering group of believers who are afraid of what power Satan has. And so we cower back and we're like, just please don't hurt us, just please go somewhere else. But it pictures the idea that the church is standing strong and marching forward, and that even if the church marched to the very gates of hell, the gates of hell could not withstand the power of the church. And we need to quit acting like a bunch of chickens and quit acting like that the one who is in us is less than the one who is in the world. We serve a Savior who has power and has authority, 
And as we face these obstacles, when we face these difficulties, we need to do so with the belief that Jesus Christ can and will win these battles. And so we, we've got to quit cowering back and acting like, well, I, just, I just hope that I'm going to be okay and I hope nobody's going to bother me. As we look at that passage there, there's an authority that Jesus has and we need to embrace that as well. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey Him. Um, I read a story years ago about a, uh, a church, and, and this speaks both to the victory and also to the way that we get the victory. Uh, Armitage Baptist Church was in an area where there was just a lot of, um, a lot of gang activity uh, in an inner city. And the church was like, you know, okay, what are we going to do? And, and what they decided to start doing, and this seems like something that would not have had an impact, but they, they took some of the men of the church and decided to establish prayer patrols. And they would go around their community, and during that time, no one walked up to the gang members, like nobody, because it was so dangerous. But these guys would walk up to the gang members, and they would just say, hey, you know, we're from Armitage Baptist Church. How can we pray for you guys? Is the baby sick? Is there something going on? What, what can we pray for you guys? And as they would pray for them, they would also pray uh, for their community. And over doing that over a series of time and praying for God to move both in those men's lives and then also in that community, over the course of a number of years, the gang activity from that in that community was completely wiped out. Um, it happened by the power of prayer. And it speaks to the reality of as we go into these battles, I, I want to be clear, we don't go in saying, man, I've got this and I'm really powerful and I can handle this. But as we think about what it says there, it says He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey Him. It doesn't say that they'll obey me, but I know somebody they will obey and His name is Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand that He gives us the authority, but we didn't need to walk forward in that authority. Which leads us to the last thing, and that's down in 26 and then also in, in 34. In 26 it says, The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The third thing is this. We need to work to see people set free. We need to work to see people set free. That passage there speaks of the man being delivered. Hop down with me to 34 as well. We read this a moment ago at the beginning, but it's worth reading again. I'll start in 33. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. They also drove out many demons, but He would not let the demons speak because they knew who He was. We both believe that there is such a thing as demon possession, but we also believe there's such a thing as demon oppression. And as we think about those around us, and you know we can't see inside any any particular person, and so it it could be that they're oppressed by the world. It could be they're oppressed by their own uh, their own mind and their own spirit. It could be that it's it's demonic, like we're talking about this morning. But as we think about that, we are called to go and to set people free. We're called to go out and share the good news of what Jesus has done. And as we share the good news, as we do that, we believe that it will transform lives. There's a, a story um, from the Civil War of the Battle of Antietam, which was 
one of the maybe the bloodiest battle of the Civil War. Um, 20,000 dead. Um, and at the end of the day, um, McClellan, the Union general, was able to just barely stop the attack uh, of, of Robert E. Lee from the Confederate side. The only reason the Union won that day was that a couple of Union soldiers had found, uh, wrapped around some cigars, uh, the plans that Lee had made, and they were able to take them to McClellan, and it was because he knew what Lee's plans were. He was able to battle to a draw that day instead of completely losing the battle. Now, as we think about that, it's important that we also know that we understand um, we understand Satan's plan. In particular this, and this really, I didn't coordinate this, but this really goes back to Chip's testimony this morning. Um, what, what Chip told us this morning was that, that, that it was wonderful for him to have all those guys down there. And, and the point he was getting at, and I could not agree more, is that it is, and you saw his emotion, it is really meaningful in our lives when we see evidence that our life has impacted the life of somebody else, especially a younger person, we feel like we've poured into somebody's life and that they're better for that and that, that we have helped them to, to get to where they are, it is a deeply meaningful thing to be able to look at that and say, my life impacted somebody else. Why? Because the most important thing we're going to do in this world, the, the legacy that we leave is not how much money you made or the title that you had at work. The legacy that we leave is the impact of your life on the people around you. Because at the end of the day, the only thing outlasting this world are the kingdom of God and people. That's it. Everything else is going to be burned away someday. It is the people that make the difference. And we know because uh, of the, what we read in the Old Testament, we know that Satan is in a situation where his anger toward God causes him to recognize that the thing he needs to work on, because it will hurt God the most, the thing he wants to destroy is not the world. What's he want to destroy? Us. Because we are the ones that God loves. We are the ones that Jesus loved enough to die for. And so his focus is on us. That's the battleground. And as we think about that, in our own lives, we need to recognize if you live your life running after how much money you can get or some title, that's a wasted life. At the end of the day, the thing that we need to focus our lives on and the thing that we need to spend our lives on is impacting other people that they may come to know Christ and that they may grow closer to Christ. Because the battleground is the lives of the people around. Look at the verse again. Verse 26, going back there. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The battleground was not doctrine. The battleground was not theology. The battleground was not uh, ideas. The battleground was what? A person. The battleground was a person. As we go to the invitation song in just a second, I want you to think about in your own life. Sometimes we get self-centered and we think about only ourselves um, instead of considering the impact on those around us. And 
to go back to what I said a minute ago, and we don't know the source of oppression in somebody's life, whether it, sometimes it could be demonic, sometimes it is the world guiding them in bad ways, and sometimes it's themselves making poor decisions, and we don't know. But I want you to think about not a ton of people. I want you to think right now, let the Holy Spirit guide you. I just want you to think about one person who is struggling. Whatever the type of struggle, we may not know. But one person who is struggling. And like, it's obvious that they're struggling. And I want you to ask yourself whether you've been kind of keeping hands off. Maybe they're a mess a little bit. Or maybe they're just a nuisance sometimes. Or maybe you don't know exactly what to do to fix it. And I want to put forward this idea. If we live in a world where we are in a war zone and we are called to impact the lives of other people, maybe God has put you in that person's life not so you can watch them, but so that you can help them. So that you can be the person that brings, whether it's comfort or encouragement or truth or whatever they need, that you can be the person that battles for them. Who this morning might be that one person that God is calling you to quit stepping back from? step forward to do battle that they might be made whole. Okay. Father, this morning I thank You that Your Word tells us the truth that we are in a battle. And that we do know the the plan of the enemy, and that his focus is on destroying lives. And Father, we see that every day. In a myriad of ways, we see that every day. Father, I pray this morning that you would recognize, or that you would help us to recognize that we are not called to focus on our own comfort. We are not called to focus on our own entertainment. But Father, we are called to with Jesus set the captives free. Father, help us to want to be part of the battle. I pray in Jesus' name.